Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Tuesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Street. My name is JJ Jackson. On the program with me today, I've got Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress, and we are so excited to talk all things Auburn athletics and other things across the sports world. Coming up here at 3.15, we are going to be honored to chat with Dave Archer, the color commentator for the Atlanta Falcons radio network, former Falcons quarterback himself, and uh, he will join our program at 3.15. Justin Ferguson stops by at 4.30 as Ferguson will be talking about Auburn football and their win over the weekend against San Jose State. We'll have our birthdays in sports. We'll have a nightly TV guide and so much more here on the program today. So a lot to get into as Auburn football now 2-0 on the season. And joining me for the first time this week, Ryan LaVoy here with me. Hello, Ryan. Hello, JJ. What is in a color? Yeah, exactly. Usually we ask what's in a name, but obviously a lot of people are excited about the potential for different Auburn uniforms. But Doing very well. Looking forward to talking throughout the week as we lead up to Auburn and Penn State. And we really have the first test of the season for Auburn. We've had a couple of quizzes if you're a Tigers fan and you've seen Auburn uh, to varying degrees pass those quizzes, but maybe not emphatically. But the first test this weekend against Penn State, and of course everyone wanting to know if they're going to wear orange or not. We wonder that ourselves. However, I will say I'm a little less interested than most in it. I would like Auburn to play good football. That is my chief concern on Saturday. Um, but doing well and uh, been following everything in the sports world. Just concluded NFL Week 1 last night with a Seattle upsetting Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. No, I did not say that incorrectly. Seattle upsetting Russell Wilson's Denver Broncos uh, in Seattle. And so we've got Week 1 under the books in the National Football League. And uh, what a week it was. I just heard our records of predicting it. They did not go well uh, for us at the station as we predict NFL games. But, uh, yeah, football is now we are in the season. We have uh, a lot of stuff to talk about there. We're also counting down the end of the Major League Baseball season. The Braves starting to have a little bit of a West Coast slide now. Hopefully that ends tonight in San Francisco in the second game of that series. But, uh, doing well, man, and uh, just excited to talk everything sports-related. All right, here we are inside our studios. Brooks Childress set to join us as well. Dave Archer will be on the program here in about 10 minutes. Moments ago, we got a press release, a message from President Christopher Roberts for Auburn University. Quote, Dear Auburn family, today I'm announcing that Rich McGlynn is Auburn's interim athletics director, effective immediately. He will serve while we begin a competitive national search for our next athletics director. I am confident in Rich's ability to lead us forward during this transition period as he has tremendous experience 
in the field and at Auburn University. Rich joined Auburn in 2006 and is the Executive Associate Athletics Director of Compliance. From 2001 until 2006, Rich worked for the NCAA. He served as a student-athlete's reinstatement representative within the enforcement services arm of the NCAA and the assistant director of member services before being named the NCAA's associate director of memberships service. Going on through his bio, Rich graduated from Florida Southern in 1993 with a bachelor's degree in business administration and received his Juris Doctorate from Seton Hall University School of Law in 1999. In the coming weeks, I will announce additional details about the national search process and our approach moving forward. Over the past three decades, I've developed a rich appreciation of the importance of our athletics programs to university as well as our alumni and friends. As president, I am fully committed to building and sustaining nationally competitive athletics programs. As such, my goal is to find the very first best person to lead Auburn Athletics, someone who understands our storied history, has a proven track record, leading a large-scale athletics enterprise, values the importance of our student-athletes' accomplishments both on and off the field, and someone who will lead our programs to even greater levels of success. I look forward to your support as we move ahead with our search for an athletics director who will continue our tradition of excellence. War Eagle, the official press release right there from President Christopher Roberts. Marcy Girton was serving as the interim athletics director for the Tigers after Alan Green's departure. Rich McGlynn has now been named the interim athletics director. A lot of people thought he could be a candidate for the job, and while I'm sure he will be considered moving forward, when you read through that and you hear looking for a national search in someone with leadership experience, of a big athletics enterprise, I think Auburn is going to look elsewhere and look for somebody else to bring in at some point. They're going to look, but at the same time, it's still just PR, you know, and it, and no one is going to say, you know, let's play devil's advocate. Who is going to say, we've named an interim, we like this guy, blah, 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 and we may or may not look at other places. You know, like, like it's not really the common thing to say. What they said is the common thing to say. Uh, no idea how this will play out. You know, you could make a joke about they're going to give Rich a opportunity to see if if he'll do with the with the head coach of Auburn the way the the boosters would like. Um, I but I really do not know because I don't really. I know some people do have opinions. I don't really follow the administrative role as much uh, with these athletic institutions and these ads. And truthfully, you know, and, the loudest people in the fan base that uh-huh. talk about that, right. they don't follow the inner workings no, of an athletic they, department they, and yet feel the need to be so vocal about it. They see a name and they find an opinion about it quickly <laughs> or you know, read someone else's opinion about it and agree or disagree with it. But you know, I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be um, done too quickly. Obviously, if it took them a few weeks even to get an interim in place to the interim – uh, and then want to do a, a national search. Uh, there's really just, I don't know, there's no telling. Um, and, again, I think this football season could or could not have some significance to that or ha- hold some weight. So um, I, I really, you know, I couldn't tell you who everyone they're going to look at. We know that Rich McGlynn was a name, as you said, that they had uh, had mentioned. And so it's interesting to be the interim. And that's, that's Because he's been mentioned, you almost are inclined to think that this is a trial run yeah. in some sorts. But maybe it's not. I don't know. But um, certainly more news there. And 
Auburn finding a way to produce more news outside of just the football game because we were going into yesterday, we were talking about jerseys and uniform colors and all this, and now we're talking about an, another uh, AD move here. And so uh, Auburn just keeps keeps giving, giving headlines. You're right. There could be a PR move now that uh, you know a, a release will come out at some point. After a national search, we have realized there is no greater candidate than one Mr. Yeah. Rich McGlynn, yeah. and we are going to make him – our athletics director for Auburn University. Did you read the rough War drafts? Eagle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that all plays out. But Rich McGlynn has been named the interim athletics director for the Tigers. And again, he's been serving in the Auburn University athletic department since 2006. That's a really long time to yeah. be working in an athletic department. So uh, from that perspective, good move there from Dr. Chris Roberts, the president of Auburn University. All right, we got to get to a break here in just a moment. On the other side of this break, for the first time ever, Dave Archer is going to be a guest on Sports Call, the former Falcons quarterback, now serving as the color commentator and analyst for the Falcons Radio Network. And uh, boy, Ryan, they really let one get away from them on Sunday. Yeah, another pretty big balloon lead uh, late for Atlanta. And that one, uh, you know, it hurts because it's the beginning of the season and it's a division rival, you know. I mean, you, if you do that in Week 10 and you're already a 3-6 and six football team, I don't know if it hits the same, but uh, when you're at the beginning of the season, and look, Atlanta looks really dang good for three quarters too. I think that's the other element to this is Atlanta didn't back their way into a significant fourth quarter lead. They had earned a solid lead. They looked pretty good. And then all of a sudden they start to have miscues. Mariota fumbles down there near around the five-yard line. Uh, they have really poor coverage in the fourth quarter. Jameis either went like 13-14 or 14-14 in the, in, the, in the final quarter after doing absolutely nothing in the first three quarters. They did not get pressure in the fourth quarter. There was a multitude of issues that undid everything, everything well that they had accomplished in the first three quarters. So – uh, you can look at it glass half full or glass em- uh, glass half empty. You can say in the half full version, uh, Atlanta did look really good for three quarters. If that team shows up week by week, they're not going to be one of the worst football teams in the NFL. The flip side of that is you played such a great game and you still didn't win it. What do you got to do to actually win these football games? New Orleans should be a decent team this year. Look, some some have a very high opinion of New Orleans. I'm pretty much that camp i think new orleans will be a playoff team this year so they didn't lose to some chump team but at the same time losing to a division rival and at home like that that hurts a little bit so uh, i think there were some good things though their running game looked good marcus Mariota looked like he had good control of the offense looked like it was an offense built for him right because i mean if you saw that game that was not an offense Matt Ryan would run. Uh, Marcus Mariota was was running out of the pocket a lot. He did some read option stuff. So I, I think Atlanta should also feel good about the fact that Arthur Smith clearly tailored the game plan already to Marcus's strengths, and so that did not look like a, Mar- a Matt Ryan-led uh, offense. So, I, again, there were some pauses there. It's going to be a long season. I believe the Rams are up next for Atlanta. Uh, but certainly a, a heart, heartbreaking start to their season and – uh, they'll get more shots at it. It's a long season, 17 games, and unlike college football, one or two losses does not destroy your entire season. But obviously with Atlanta trying to have an uphill battle this year, would have been really nice to get that first one. Just one Auburn University player on the Atlanta Falcons roster, Marlon Davidson, in his third season now in the NFL. Unfortunately, right now, 
Marlon Davidson is on IR, not healthy and participating for the Falcons. Let's take our first time out here on the program. Sports Call continues in a moment. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson and Ryan LaVoy inside our studios here on South College Streets as we are so thrilled to welcome in our next guest here into the program on Auburn's first at Auburn's favorite sports talk show. He spent six seasons playing in the National Football League, starred in college for the Iowa State Cyclones, and is a broadcaster for the Atlanta Falcons Radio Network. You get to hear Auburn University football games on Saturday and then Falcons football here within our airwaves on Sunday and hearing the voice of Dave Archer, who's kind enough to be on the program with us here today in Auburn. Dave, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you, my friend? I'm good, JJ. Good to be with you and Ryan. Really appreciate the opportunity to come on with the fans and uh, looking forward, obviously, this weekend. Penn State's coming to town, uh, and then we go out and try to take on the Rams. So a good double dip here on your station. Look at you promoting Auburn football, which is excellent, (laughs) because I was going to say, Dave, you know, you look at Auburn and and your alma mater, Iowa State, they've never met on the gridiron before. Like, you try to make connections between the two programs, and we know Gene Chizik was the Tigers head coach when they won the title in 2010, and the stop right before was Iowa State, but there really isn't much crossover between the two schools. No, there really has not been, and, and really, Iowa State has not really dipped into the SEC very much. I've uh, My junior year, when I transferred from junior college to take uh, over at Iowa State as the quarterback, we opened the season in Neyland Stadium against Tennessee. Uh, in a game that uh, Tennessee featured a guy a guy named Reggie White, uh, a guy named Bill Bates, and we had quite a battle. And Quad Reves kicked a field goal at the end of the game and beat us 23-21, I believe, that night. But what a great night it was for me to be able to play in one of those great SEC venues when there's no better place to play than Jordan-Hare. So uh, I know Penn State thinks they've got a great place in Happy Valley, and they do. Get ready, because Jordan-Hare is a different level. That's what we like to hear. All right, let's 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 talk one more thing, Auburn football-related, tying it into the Falcons, and then we'll sort of transition to what we saw on Sunday in the season to come there for the Birds. But uh, for Atlanta, Marlon Davidson, another year on the Falcons roster. Unfortunately, Dave, as you well know, it's been a career so far at the NFL level that has been defined by injuries. It's a man who had a, a pick six of Tom Brady. His first career sack comes against Brady, but outside of that, it's been a whole lot of injuries, which has been quite unfortunate uh, because of how talented he is and because of the investment the Falcons made there in the early rounds to draft Marlon Davidson and it looks like yet again he's found himself on IR right now yeah really been disappointing uh, to not get Marlon on the field when he has been on the field he's been disruptive as we anticipated with taking him with that second pick of the of the year that year in the draft and wanted to team him next to Grady Jarrett and see what kind of havoc they could wreak they just have uh, not been on the field very much at all together. Um, you mentioned a couple of plays that he's made when he's been on the field, but it's just been um, not very much. And unfortunately, 
Uh, Marlins uh, on the outside looking in again this season. We'd love to have him on the field, just has not been able to stay healthy. Dave, let's go back now and look at that week one game against New Orleans. And let's focus on the first three quarters at first because I thought what we saw was very interesting out of the Falcons' offense uh, and really both sides of the ball. But let's start offense with Marcus Mariota. What did you see in how he was operating with the offense and just how different the offense looked led by someone other than Matt Ryan? Yeah, it was it was very different. Certainly to, to step up into the broadcast booth and watch the Falcons take the field offensively for the first time uh, in 14 years that Matt Ryan has not been the guy. But uh, I thought Mariota conducted himself extremely well. I thought he created himself as a problem for the Saints right off the start, get the play where he keeps right around the edge for about 10 or 12 yards, just kind of set the tone as to what they were going to do in the ground game. And they really pounded a really good New Orleans defense, got after him in the run game. I think it subsequently carried over to providing him some time to throw the football. He was efficient in that regard as well. I really felt like Atlanta dictated the game, uh, both offensively and defensively up front uh, throughout those three quarters you're talking about, and Mariota was a big part of that. And obviously, as you mentioned, that running game, 38 carries, 201 yards, and we saw a lot of Cordell Patterson. We saw a lot of Marcus Mariota running as well. And it seems for the Falcons' offense, this has obviously been an offense based more on the passing game in years past with Matt Ryan. And so to see it from the get-go this year already have a, a, a good success on the ground against a, a defensive front that's pretty well noted in the New Orleans Saints, it seems to bode well for this ground game moving forward this year. Yeah, I think it's it's a little bit more sustainable, if you will. I think that when you play finesse football, that can kind of wane – from week to week, and that's kind of what we've been. Uh, you kind of ebb to a, a passing game and trying to put good receivers on the field for Matt Ryan and subsequently some of that physicality that pays dividends usually for you late in games as you begin to wear teams down. Uh, now, that didn't happen in this game, but certainly uh, I think that it's it's one of those scenarios that can be sustainable. I think they can come off the ball, hit people in the mouth. I think that Mariota's ability to stretch his sideline to sideline becomes a problem. Cam Jordan, who's one of the best pass rushers you guys know in the National Football League, has been a problem for Atlanta for a long time. 22 games, 23 career sacks for Cam Jordan against the Falcons. I think I called his name twice in the game. It was unbelievable to see a guy that that productive and that dominant reduced to kind of standing and watching and trying to react to what he was seeing because of Mariota's ability to come out on those bootleg plays because they were coming off the ball and getting downhill in the run game. So I'm hoping, and I certainly feel like that's a little bit more sustainable than trying to pass protect every weekend like we've been doing the last several years. And then, of course, as you look back and now look at this wide receiving core, a lot is made of it because it does not have Calvin Ridley. It does not have the services of Julio Jones. But the rookie, Drake London, is very well thought of it, and he was the leading receiver for Atlanta uh, this past weekend. What do you think Atlanta can expect to see out of Drake London this year, and what kind of ceiling might he have in his NFL career? Yeah, I think that we touched a little bit on what Drake could do. You could, you saw the, the ability to run some of those positional routes, trying to work against the zone, his ability and his understanding of zone coverage to offset defenders and find himself open. Big target at six foot four, six five, seven foot man, you know, seven foot radius in, in, in catch radius. Uh, so he, he presents that to you. And then all of a sudden you see him on that deep end cut and he catches it and he's able to run. Uh, with some speed, and then how about him dropping the hammer on the corner at the end of the run, knock the helmet off the corner, so a big kid at 215, 220 pounds 
that can use some physicality uh, to the game as well. I think that we're going to see more and more of Drake present himself, and even even Kyle Pitts. We didn't see much of Kyle. He got two balls. I think he, he had, I think, seven thrown his direction. There wasn't much of a presence this game, but those two guys with their size have to show up down in the red zone, much like Michael Thomas showed up in the fourth quarter for New Orleans. They made a point of getting him the ball, a matchup scenario, a big receiver, a little bit smaller corner, uh, and, and they took advantage of it. And that's something we're going to need to take advantage of as the, as the season moves forward. So let's talk about that fourth quarter and the Falcons' defense. I thought the first three quarters, the Falcons' defense confused and frustrated Jameis Winston. What, in your, in your eyes, flipped in that fourth quarter? Well, a couple things happened. I think that finally Pete Carmichael, their offensive coordinator, who had been with Sean Payton for a long, long time, and I think Sean Payton's one of the best in-game adjusters and managers of games ever. Pete had to have stuff, stuff rub off on him at some point, and I thought that in the fourth quarter he got to some of those things, and they went to a little bit more max protect. Uh, they were able to get Winston protected. They were able to pick up some of the stunts and blitzes that, that, uh, that Dean Pease was throwing at him. Uh, and then and then you got Winston in a, in a rhythm. And like a three-point shooter, uh, you keep shooting, keep shooting, and you miss your first 10, you got to keep shooting. He finally got in a rhythm. And, and he's a good passer when he's on rhythm throwing the football. Just didn't get in his face very much in that fourth quarter. And they got something going. I think the tempo changed as well. They went to some no huddle. Frankly, was surprised they didn't go to more no huddle earlier in the game. And I think that's something we're going to see with the Rams coming up this weekend. Uh, the Rams were kind of bogged down offensively. I think you'll see Sean McVay get uh, Stafford in some in some no huddle. Certainly, after looking at this tape and how it got Winston going, I think that was part of the problem for the Falcons as well. And the offense didn't do him any justice either. The offense get an opportunity, you punch it down inside the five yard line a couple times. Didn't do that to put this game away, so it kept it in doubt. And Winston was able to weave some of his magic late in the game. Dave Archer is here with us. He's on the Falcons Radio Network broadcasts alongside the play-by-play voice in West Durham. Falcons taking on the reigning Super Bowl champs, L.A. Rams, this upcoming Sunday uh, with kickoff set for 4 Eastern, 3 Central here in the Auburn area. So as we turn our attention to the game coming up on Sunday, what's going to stand out in this one, Dave? What what should uh, Falcons fans be prepared for in this matchup? Well, it'll be interesting to see if you can continue to stay physical up front. Can you can you push this defensive front around for the Rams? It's not the biggest front in the world. Certainly, Aaron Donald is a guy that's that's a problem. He's a game wrecker. But can you can you make him play the run game? He's solid defender. He's a guy that can play both the run and the pass. But make him play a physical football game. Does it slow him down a little bit from a pass rush standpoint? That'll be interesting to see. They got Bobby Wagner, the veteran at linebacker. He had seven tackles last weekend. Uh, I expect him and his and his veteran leadership to help out with the run game. He's a guy that's been a leading tackler throughout the National Football League throughout his career. Really, I think he finished third in the league last year uh, in in tackles, and now with the Rams after leaving Seattle. So uh, they've got some some veteran players that know how to play the game. They've got two good corners uh, in Hill and Ramsey, so they're solid defensively. But they did get pushed around some uh, in the run game. Uh, and again, Josh Allen ran for about 60 yards in that game and a touchdown. So they're going to have to defend Mariota in the run game. They'll see that on tape. That'll be something they'll have to try to defend. Atlanta can't turn the football over, and that's what Allen did. They turned it over four times, yet they still won the game. Did Buffalo, can you get Stafford to turn it over? He did. I do think there's going to be a little bit of shift in tempo with L.A. with their passing game. I think they'll, what they'll do 
is they'll go to a little bit no a little more no huddle because of what they see on tape. But I think they're better in no huddle. Stafford's one of those guys that that's better when he can kind of lock into a defense or a look. I think you'll see more of that from Sean McVay. Um, and, and they'll try to sprinkle in the run game, I guess, some. But it seems like it's more of a change-up for me, run game-wise, for the for the Rams. It's about Stafford. It's about Cup. And, and can another receiver step up? Allen Robinson didn't do hardly anything. Their free agent acquisition, uh, he didn't do much for them. So I expect him to be a little more involved in their offense as well. As we look at the season as a whole, it's a long, grueling NFL season. And obviously, this team's expectations were pretty low. But the team we saw in the first three quarters was a team that I think would achieve above any expectation people gave for them. How do you bottle up those three quarters, turn it into four quarters, and go week by week with that kind of football team? Man, that's what you, it's a great question. It's what Arthur Smith is trying to do in his office right now. How do I take those three quarters and make them a four-quarter scenario? I think it's more about players taking stock in, in what they did the first three quarters and remembering what cost them in the fourth quarter. And it were little little things. You guys hear it all the time about coaches talking about taking care of little things, ball security, um, the, the techniques. I mean, Marcus Mariota has got to make a point in that third and short situation. He's got to know that New Orleans is going to get low. They're going to try to create leverage in the run game because they know you're going to try to get a first down there. He's got to ride the center. He cannot allow – he cannot drop a center snap right there. You can't have a penalty – on for a second and goal from the five-yard line, after you just ripped off a five-yard run to shove it to the five, you can't give them five back and a penalty. Those little things like that uh, cost Atlanta. And there were nine of the 16 games were decided by six points or less this weekend. That's what the NFL is. And so if you don't make those little mistakes, you win the football game. If you do, the other team takes the, takes the prize and goes home with a win. Make sure you listen to Falcons football every Sunday here on 95.9 FM in the Auburn area to hear Dave Archer break down the game. I feel like I'm uh, smarter every time I listen to the broadcast. So, uh, Dave, I'm curious, though, what I mean, you've been doing this for several years now at this point. What has that transition kind of been like from player to now being a broadcaster? It's been fun. Uh, it's The thing that I tell everybody is it's what's the best part about it is that I can go to the ballpark and I don't get hit in the back anymore. <laughs> uh, that was uh, that became detrimental. Fair enough. When you dropped and get, and you got hit, so no, I can talk about the game, be around it. Nothing will ever substitute, you know, being in a game, scoring a touchdown, shooting a pass down the scene to for a touchdown, and hearing the crowd react. But this is the next best thing. It's been a lot of fun to be around. It's been a, been an honor to be a part of this organization. Mister Blank is as good an owner as there is in the National Football League. So it's been fun to be around him. A member of the Iowa State Athletics Hall of Fame, a six-year NFL career, and a graduate of Soda Springs High School in Soda Springs, Idaho. And I bring that up, Dave, because the only thing we really know about Idaho is that (laughs) Boise State is there, and our current head football coach came from Boise State. What can you tell us about Soda Springs, Idaho? Well, Soda Springs, I can tell you that we don't ship out the good potatoes. All the potatoes <laughs> you guys are eating are not. If you get a true Idaho potato, it's got its own plate, okay? And it probably has <laughs> half a stick of butter on it. We're, we're shipping out the smaller ones, the runts, that don't get a chance to fit into those bags in Idaho. No, it's a fun place to grow up, very rural areas, you can imagine. I think it was about 2,500 people lived in the town I grew up in. I had 79 kids in my graduating class. So Ooh. everybody knew everybody, and everybody knew everybody's business, but – but uh, it was a fun place to grow up. Got a great appreciation for the outdoors, hunting and fishing and those type of things. And 
it, it really translated pretty easy for me to come down here to Georgia because there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on down here as well. From playing in SEC football venues to breaking down X's and O's for the Falcons to the best potato coverage that folks are hearing in their car today, <laughs> we've been able to talk about it all. Dave, thank you so much for doing this, and uh, we'll continue to chat with you throughout the rest of the football season, okay? I'll, I'll look forward to it, and for the Auburn fans, War Eagle this weekend. There we go, War Eagle indeed. Thanks, Dave. That's Dave Archer joining us there on our Auburn Bank phone line. I love that, Ryan. That was, uh, that was a lot really, fun. really fun to chat it, uh, chat with him and uh, kind of break down what's been going on for the Falcons. Yeah, a graduate of Soda Springs, Idaho. Did a little research there. Is that S-O-T-A or? S-O-D-A. Like S-O-D-A. the drink. Soda. Soda oh. Springs, okay. Idaho. Four hours away from Boise. Gosh, the states out there are just deceptively big, even (laughs) with small populations. All those states out there are big. Boise on the western side of Idaho. Drive four hours east, and you find yourself in Soda Springs, Idaho. It's the coverage people are looking for. (laughs) The runts of the potato world come from Dave Archer's hometown in Soda Springs. Let's take a timeout. We continue sports call right after this. J.J. Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. The Atlanta Falcons are back in the hunt for a playoff berth, and you can come along for the ride. Tune in to your exclusive home in East Alabama for the Atlanta Falcons. Tiger 95.9 all season long for all the hard-hitting action. Hands to Patterson, left side, he'll score standing. Oh my goodness. This new-look team has their eyes set on the playoffs, and you don't want to miss a single second of the action. Fires over the middle, and it's intercepted again at the Atlanta 41. A.J. Terrell coming back down the far sideline, and he's out of bounds at the 45. Coverage from the Atlanta Falcons radio network begins two hours before kickoff. Snap, spot, kick from Koo is away, and it is good. Atlanta win. For a complete schedule of broadcasts, make sure you visit our website, thetiger.fm. It's another action-packed season of Atlanta Falcons football on your home for the NFL in Lee County, Tiger 95.9. Brought to you locally by Michelob Ultra, the Car Stereo Shop, Snapple, Kenny Knox Tire Center, May Refrigeration, Another exciting season of Beauregard football is here, and you don't want to miss a moment. Tune in all season long on Tiger 95.9 and the Tiger Communications app for all the hard-hitting Hornet football action. Beauregard is looking to get back into the playoffs as they fight their way through a revamped 5A schedule. Coverage begins 30 minutes before each game with the countdown to kickoff. For a complete schedule of Beauregard, football make sure you check our website thetiger.fm it's another season of Beauregard football on tiger 95.9 brought to you locally by auburn bank Beauregard drugs the car stereo shop empire petroleum golden flake potato chips honey baked ham and glenn smith chevrolet buick gmc in opelika get ready to smile want more sports call 
Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back into Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Our thanks again to Dave Archer for joining us on the program. Really insightful stuff, talking about a Falcons team that, uh, man, 17 unanswered points in that fourth quarter fell apart. I mean, that's all you could say for it. They fell apart in that fourth quarter, and now they fly all the way across the country. Yeah to take on the reigning Super Bowl champs. And a Rams team that does not want to start 0-2 because they got run pretty good by Buffalo week one. And look, Buffalo's going to be a great football team. They're a true Super Bowl contender, but you're the reigning champs and you're at home and it's ring night and you got run. I mean, you know, I mean, like that's that's the reality of it. So um, they, they got to take advantage of Atlanta and they got to beat them. But from Atlanta's perspective, and that's why I asked Dave, look, this team was supposed to be one of the bottom, I don't know, four to six teams in the NFL. And they, for three quarters, I, I don't know what they looked like, but it was not a bad team. Mm-mm. They looked quite good for three quarters. And then all of a sudden, a terrible fourth quarter. And unfortunately, that's the margins. And people forget about this. And that's why we all did such a putrid job of <laughs> picking the games this week. These are all professional players, and I I will say this probably 10 times this year. I want to remind people that the Jets, despite only winning four games last year, they beat the one-seeded Titans, who, who were the number one record in the AFC last year, and they beat the team that represented the AFC in the Super Bowl wow. in the Cincinnati Bengals. So these are professionals, and the margins are slim. And the the the, t- the thing that separates the good teams from the bad is the one-possession games because all year long you play these one-possession games. We talked about it a couple years ago when I go on this spiel every time. I, I, have the unfor- I have the misfortune but also the fortune to root for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so it's great right now. But for a long time, the Bucs were awful, and they were a part of the worst teams in the league. And what that meant was the Bucs, even in like three-win seasons, four-win seasons, they would lose five, six, seven one-possession games. Well, why is that? Because they do they'd make the stupid penalty. They'd have the critical turnover. They'd miss that field goal. And that's the margins in this league. And so, you know, on one hand it's like, man, Atlanta, there's a above five hundred team in there somewhere. But on the other hand, it's like, man, Atlanta, you cannot blow a game like that. That's why you're picked to be towards the bottom of the league. So um, that, that it will be really interesting to see because if they can bottle up those three quarters, they're going to beat some teams this year. But, you know, if they let stuff like that happen in the fourth quarter, they're not going to achieve much this year. So uh, definitely a disappointing start for them. But on what you can't be completely down the dumps on what you saw for most yeah. of the game. Yeah, and just one game is right. the thing yeah. at the not, end. Not, we're not is, overreacting. You know, I'm not – There's I, time for overreaction because that's what sure. takes place after yeah. one week. But, yeah, we can't do that. We don't need to do that. Because, like, what, what – Sure, I'll open any question here. Just, just you and me, just spitballing. Let's here. do it. What, what worried you the most in the National Football League in Week One? Like, what, what thing are you tempted to overreact to the most? Uh, so many. I mean, I saw it, it's the entire conversation of the sport right now. After one week, I saw an entire first take segment yesterday. Uh-huh. Should we worry more about Patrick Mahomes' five touchdown passes or the five turnovers for Joe Burrow? What's the bigger deal? 
you know, in, in that scenario out there. Just sh- proving to the point that there are so many big, like, does it matter? Patrick Mahomes is great. Joe Burrow is also great. Yeah. He had a bad game. I think, I well, no, the worrisome thing there is that the offensive line looked really bad for Cincinnati because Burrow deserved to have probably, what, what do you ultimately have, four turnovers or five turnovers? Five. Five turnovers. He probably deserved to have three of those. Um, but the issue was they that he was pressured again a lot, and the Bengals spent a lot of money trying to sign guys up front, Alex Kappa included from Tampa Bay, and it didn't look any better. And I know Pittsburgh's got a good pass rush, but again, it didn't look any better. And so that that's concerning. Look, Mahomes, I was never in the camp that Kansas City would be bad all of a sudden or be disappointing just because they didn't have Tyreek Hill. I kind of love the Chargers, and that's why I kind of think the Chargers can still win that division or will win that division. But Kansas City still will be a playoff team either way. They're, they're going to win double-digit games and be a playoff team. Patrick Mahomes is awesome, and he cooked Arizona this past weekend. And so am I overreact? I don't feel like I have to overreact to Patrick Mahomes. He's that good. Yeah. He's always been that good. He always will be that good. Do I need to overreact to Burrow himself? No, but I might be tempted to react strongly to Cincinnati because, again, it was bad. Yeah. It, they did not block anybody. T.J. Watt with a pack, two packs, a pack <laughs> and a half, doesn't matter. They didn't block him or really anybody well, and they didn't run the ball as well as they could have. So, uh, you know, I, I I would have some worries there. Um, I was going to say for my most worry thing, and Cincinnati was one, my most worry thing, and probably people don't care too much about this because they're not as big involved, I'm really worried about Tennessee because Tennessee can't lose a game to New York um, where they're at home and you know Saquon Barkley had a big game and all that, but they already had questions at wide receiver. Um, they already have a high reliance on Derrick Henry. They already have an average quarterback in Ryan Tannehill that tends to not – you know, be incredible. And they've got a schedule this year. And I was thinking about this again last night where the Titans, um, and I, and this would be the same for the entire AFC South to be fair. So it's not like I'm in love with what the Colts did tying the, the Texans week one, but the AFC South this year, they have the AFC West. And I think they have, the NFC East, which is not as bad, but the AFC West is the wrong division to have. Don't want to play that and one. And maybe my overreaction is not even just Tennessee exclusively. You could have an 8-9 AFC South team is what I'm starting to think because if either Houston – because Houston's already took a half game off Indy. This is not sure. some far-fetched thing. If Houston or Jacksonville is more competent this year – and you can split with those teams, and you just look at what Tennessee's doing. Tennessee's going to at Buffalo on Monday Night Football. Then they host the Raiders, and they're at the Colts. At Washington is not as preferable as being host to them. They then have the Colts, and it's at Houston, which I talked about. Then at Kansas City, host Denver, at Green Bay, host Cincinnati, at Philly. That's not fun. It's not fun. So I think I'm starting to see that the AFC South might have more – the two teams, Colts and Texans – excuse me, Colts and Titans, 
might have more problems getting to a reasonable record this year based off their week one performances of drawing with Houston, who still figures to be one of the worst teams in the league, and then Tennessee losing to New York, who, again, coming into the year, yeah. figured to be one of the worst you know, five to seven teams in the league. That'd be one thing for the Titans. At least nobody else in your division won a football game. Right. As yep. the Colts and Texans <laughs> yeah. tied. Colts and Texans tied for the lead with no wins. Yeah. They just have a tie. Then the Jaguars, of course, uh, lost to Washington. Washington. Yeah. The Sports Call Podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure that you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy an ice-cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. Our show continues in a moment. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Back on Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Tiger Communications app. All of our sports call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. Visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Give us a call to join the show, 334-887-3401. JJ Jackson inside the studio with Ryan Lavoy. And Brooks Childress. Hi, Brooks. Hey. Great to hear your voice. Absolutely. On the show today. Taking care of company business. Right. I want to do this. I want to do this, okay? With the, Ignore Brooks. A couple okay. of minutes left here in hour number one. I want to ask you the same question that okay. you asked me. You gave a great answer because you always do. Thank you. But let's, Thank you. let's close out the hour with a good conversation here. Find a way, if you will, to overreact to a week two result from college football. You've got AM losing to App State, as we discussed yesterday. Notre Dame loses to Marshall. Alabama That's and Texas play a one-point game. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that we could talk about here. Yeah, everyone wants to rail on A&M, and that's just too common. So I'll I'll uh, that that's, <laughs> that's, that's too common. It's, it's too not mainstream. wrong. It's uh, not wrong, but let's just rail on something else for a moment. This is awesome. Um, so Notre Dame loses to Marshall. And um, Byron Leftwich was not running out of that tunnel. Um, the the thing is, Notre Dame. Granted, two of the three football games have been very difficult. They're not like reasonable. Like they're fifty fifty games. But since Marcus Freeman was named head coach, they're zero and three. And I people do this because they want to make sure that they're in the right, or they won, or. We're better off without you. It is very unlikely Notre Dame will be better off without Brian Kelly. And he can say, pronounce family in however many ways he wants to pronounce it and try and fit into LSU. But Brian Kelly did a a marketably good job at Notre Dame. And I know that ultimately it did not result in any national championships, which Notre Dame uh, expects to win every now and then. Uh, but in this era that's been dominated by only two or three schools, 
it's hard to re- reasonably expect to do that. They were one of the schools that went to the playoff multiple times. Brian Kelly at Notre Dame did a tremendous job. He was 92 and 40, and that includes some vacated stuff back in 12 and 13. His last five years were a little rocky, but the last three years were all really good with top 12 finishes. And so I like, I just, I know it wasn't perfect, but. This guy can coach, and I don't know if it'll work at LSU because of the culture fit, but it's not going to be because he can't coach. And he clearly could coach. And Notre Dame, despite its size, its prestige, it's not for, – for the for the teams in even prestige with Notre Dame, it does not recruit well. It recruits well compared to other schools. It's still top 15 classes and all that, but it does not – hardly ever have this top five like oh my gosh look at all these dudes they got it really does not typically have that so i think that they're going to end up missing brian kelly despite the all the great people that came out again after lsu lost to florida state you know so notre dame could be in for a really rough time and a really rough year just overall They'll probably beat Cal this, this next week. Then they're at North Carolina. That'll be tricky. BYU feels like a loss. Uh, you know, they'll go on a little run with Stanford, UNLV, maybe Syracuse, but they got Clemson and they got USC. Like, I'm seeing a pretty easy path to five to six losses immediately out of the gate with all Brian Kelly's players. I see this team not being a top 25 team and, and going and struggling to make a bowl game. So. I think my overreaction is Notre Dame needs to cool it on any Brian Kelly attempted slander because they're gonna they're gonna have their own problems. Marcus Freeman, the new head coach for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Brooks, is that fair? Are you overreacting to that? Yes. Or, eh. Do you want to overreact to an overreaction? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, has that here, been done before? This is the Ryan, dumbest thing I've heard is, all week. That is the worst take I've ever heard. Notre Dame, this is going to get their act here. They're winning the national championship this year. This is the game. <laughs> this is it. Uh, it woke them up. I mean, I, I agree with uh, Ryan on some of the, some of those things. I think that they are, you know, they the, some of the Notre Dame fans that came after Brian Kelly last week kind of had to eat, you know, as you say, eat crow a little bit this week where they watched their team go in and take, you know, lose to Marshall. I mean, losing to Florida State, even though Florida State hasn't been the best team uh, in the last few years, not that bad of a we'll thing. Will always be better than losing to Marshall. You, you lost to a Sun Belt team that came into your place. You paid them, you know, X a million dollars to come up there and play you, and now you took, took the L. I think Marcus Freeman can be relatively successful, but – you know, I, I don't think it's going to be that smooth of a transition as Notre Dame uh, fans thought it was going to be. I, th- I think that this year you're going to have to, you know, you have to enjoy that cheese it bowl until you have a <laughs> have a chance at the at the playoff again. Good stuff. Overreactions. So, we love them. And, we love them. And note: start if you're A and M, start Max Johnson. You Please. need to try. Yeah. You need to try. But th- that's. That's the conversation for another day. Yeah, maybe we'll have that conversation here in just a little bit. We still need to get to birthdays and sports. We've still got a chat with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up on today's show. And we still want to hear from you. 334-887-3401. Alongside Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress, my name is JJ Jackson. One hour in the books, and we're rolling.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. High school football is back in Alabama and as good as ever. Hi, everybody. It's JJ with the AHSAA Radio Network Scoreboard Show inviting you to join me, Luke Robinson, and our entire cast of characters all season long for the AHSAA Radio Network Scoreboard Show. We'll break down all the games all over the state, 10 p.m. to midnight every Friday right here. The AHSAA Radio Network Scoreboard Show, Fridays from 10 p.m. until midnight on FM Talk 93.9. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. Coming up at 4.30, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will be on Sports Call. We'll talk about the Tigers as they are 2-0 to start the year. Are they going to wear orange jerseys on Saturday? That's a big topic of conversation that we'll have on the show with Ferg in a little bit. In hour number one of Sports Call today, we spoke with Dave Archer of the Falcons Radio Network, a former Falcons quarterback and now the color commentator for their radio coverage. You can listen to Falcons games each and every Sunday right here on Tiger 95.9 FM. What we need to do right now, as we do each and every day, is take this opportunity to celebrate some birthdays. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. All right, Birthdays in Sports here today, brought to you by Max Credit Union, two convenient locations to better serve you, one in Auburn on Gay Street and one in Opelika on Frederick Road. Allow Max Credit Union to help you with all your banking needs, here is who's celebrating a birthday today, Brooks. Yeah, well, we got some uh, we got some football and basketball birthdays as well as some baseball and some miscellaneous birthdays. So let's get started with the football world. Current tight end for the Las Vegas Raiders is celebrating his 30th birthday today. It's Darren Waller, who selected in the sixth round of the 2015 NFL Draft by the Baltimore Ravens out of Georgia Tech. Together we swarm 2020 Pro Bowler. Just signed a three-year, $51 million extension with the Raiders, making him the highest-paid tight end in the league. Darren Waller turning 30 years old today. There you go. Happy birthday, Darren Waller. You think he bought himself something nice for his birthday with $51 million? Probably. I would hope so. Uh, turning 32 today is the current NFL free agent quarterback. It is A.J. McCarron. A.J. McCarron. Happy birthday. Selected in the fifth round of the 2014 NFL Draft by the Cincinnati Bengals out of Alabama. He's a three-time BCS national champion. Your rule doesn't apply? What What do you think? Uh, I'm sorry. Selected uh, selected in the fifth round of the 2014 NFL Draft by the Cincinnati Bengals out of Alabama. Eh. Three-time BCS <laughs> national champion. Yay for elephants. That's what you could have gone with. You, you, if it was Ole Miss, you would say hottie toddy. Yeah. 
Gosh almighty. Have you not been paying attention uh, at no. all? There's like two schools. There are only not, there are two yeah. schools that I I just, you know, I'll make a Is eh. Georgia the other one? No. Go dogs? No, I'll give you a hint. It's four letters. Yeah. Rhymes with puke. Oh. Yeah. Oh. oh, man. Oh. AJ McCarron's also a 2013 Maxwell Award winner. Oh, <laughs> wow. He's a 2013 Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award winner, thir- 2013 First Team All American, two time SEC All, or two time Second Team All SEC, graduate of St. Paul's Episcopal School down in Mobile, Alabama, 251 kid. There you go. Happy birthday, AJ McCarron. Happy birthday, AJ McCarron. Married in Auburn. Uh, gal. Catherine Webb. Yep, Brent Musburger approved. <laughs> All right, next. All right, moving on. Turning 26 years old today is a current tight end for the New Orleans Saints. It's Juwan Johnson. Juwan Johnson. Played his college football at Penn State and Oregon Go Ducks. Okay. Quack, quack. I was about to say, he was about to have a conflict of interest given the week there. He yeah, got out of it. I was going to say, I, I, we got out of it with the Ducks. Uh, went undrafted in the 2020 NFL Draft, but signed to the Saints as an undrafted free agent. So Jawan Johnson turning 26 years old today. Happy birthday. Moving on to the basketball world is a former NBA power forward center that was selected 7th overall in the 2002 NBA Draft from Vasco da Gama by the New York Knicks and was immediately traded to the Denver Nuggets. It's Nene. There you go. I was waiting for you to say his name, Brooks. Yeah. Nene. Nene. Happy birthday, Nene. A 20, uh, 2003 NBA All-Rookie first-teamer. Also played for the Wizards and the Rockets. Turning 40 years old today. <laughs> Is his name a fun one to say five times fast? I used to say it, Nene. <laughs> Nene. Nene. When I was... No, that's what the horse says. Nene. <laughs> Nene. Nene. Nene was a nice like Nene. twelve and eight player though. He was like, oh, I have a good bench guy. I've got Wait, Nene. How old is he today? Uh, forty years old. Forty. All 40. right. Big four zero. Over the go. hill. Happy birthday. Lordy, lordy. Guess who else is forty? It's Ricky Weeks Jr. All right. The former MLB second baseman who played for the Brewers, the Mariners, the D-backs, and the Tampa Bay Rays. 2011 All Star, 2003 Golden Spikes Award winner, 2003 Dick Hauser Trophy. Winner, a member of the Brewers Wall of Fame, Ricky Weeks, turning 40 years old today. Happy birthday, Money Ricky. Junior. Specify. Also turning 54 in the baseball world is a former MLB center fielder for the New York Yankees, Bernie Williams, turning 54. The Burn. He's five-time All-Star, four-time World Series champion, 1996 ALCS MVP, a four-time Gold Glove Award winner, 2002 Silver Slugger Award winner, 1998 AL batting champion. His number, his jersey number 51, is retired by the Yankees, and he's a Monument Park honoree. Brooks, you want darndest things kids do? My favorite baseball game when I was really young was like MLB 2K4, I want to say, or 2K5, and it had Derek Jeter in the cover. It was the year after the Red Sox came back and beat the Yankees uh, in seven, came back from down 3-0. And I always play as the Yankees because at that time they were on TV all the time. Yeah. I loved A-Rod, loved Jeter, etc. And um, Bernie Williams was the one guy that like I didn't really understand who that was, so I tried to replace him oh. all the time. Even though he's a great, he was a great player. I was just like I know Posada and Matsui <laughs> and Jeter, <laughs> but like who's this Bernie Williams guy? So, yeah, kid, like kids say the darndest things. Finally, on your birthdays in sports for today, turning 33 years old, he just beat, his team just beat Barcelona in the UEFA Champions League match this afternoon. Thomas Muller 
playing on his birthday. German professional soccer player plays for Bayern Munich and the German national team is widely considered one of the best midfielders in the world, holds the record for most assists given in the Bundesliga with 152. So happy birthday to Thomas Muller, played on his birthday. I don't think he scored, but his team did win. A win is a win on the birthday. So happy birthday, Darren Waller, A.J. McCarron, Juwan Johnson, Nene, Ricky Weeks Jr., Bernie Williams, Thomas Muller, and of course... It's your birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Birthdays in sports brought to you by Max Credit Union. It's good stuff. I enjoyed that, Brooks. Thank you. Always fun to uh, birthday. celebrate the birthdays that were. We did have a busy birthday day here on the program. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 9 tiger 9 if you would like to call in and be a part of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Again, Auburn wins on Saturday. They defeat San Jose State by a score of 24 to 16, Auburn's defense has given up 16 points in both games so far this season. Brooks, tell me how you uh you think this Auburn football team has been playing so far through two weeks. How do you assess them? Eh. Eh. Okay. <laughs> that's my that's my honest opinion. Eh. I mean, you saw them come out last week and. They were fine to start the game against Mercer, kind of you know toward the middle of that game around the the uh, the rain delay. You started to be a lot, you started to look at it. And you're like, you know, this doesn't look like we we really wanted it to. It was kind of frustrating. And then you say, oh well, it's first game jitters. Let's you know get them. And some of the you know the first, the players came into the locker room afterwards and said, yeah, you know, first game jitters. And you're like, all right, well then you should go out. And even though you know we talked about it last week, San Jose State is technically should be a better team than Mercer. They're an FBS program. They did almost lose to Portland State the week before they played Auburn. Um, but you would you know you you come into that game you expect to win by a decent margin, and then it just kind of didn't look right. You know there was just some you know it the the defense played well. The defense is kind of into this you know I, th- I think Jason Caldwell said it yesterday in his interview. Looks like they're playing this kind of bend don't break kind of defense where they're kind of playing off a little bit. They're they're getting a little bit of pressure on the quarterback, but not always getting there, not creating the turnovers that they like. And then the offense just doesn't look like it's completely gelled right now. And I, you know, I think you, the more you work into it, the more you get into it. Um, I, I think that they can, there's the potential there to get better, but you got to do it quick because you've got to hit this weekend against Penn State and you've got to look better than you did last week. And then once you get into that, after that Penn State game, it's conference play. And even though it's Missouri to start things off, they're still an SEC program. And you've got LSU right after that, and then Georgia right after that. And so you've got to, this offense has got to start looking better. Got to start looking like it's working better as a cohesive unit than they are right now, or else it's going to be a rough season. Eleven thirty, the kickoff time for Auburn foot, or excuse me, the air time for Auburn football taking on Penn State. Eleven thirty on Saturday. Auburn and Penn State is when the Tiger Tailgate Show will get started. 2.30 kickoff on our sister station, FM Talk 93.9. You can watch the game on CBS. We'll take a quick break, and our show continues in a moment. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. 
Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU. All right, welcome back into Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson here inside the studio with my good pals, Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. We hope that everyone is doing well. Coming up here in just a little bit, we will chat with our pal, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer about the Tiger season so far. Uh, two wins on the year for Auburn, but uh, things could definitely be better right now. What should Auburn's plan moving forward be? What about orange jerseys? So many people talking about that. Orange mascots confirmed yesterday by the captains of the Auburn football team. So, yeah, crazy times ahead, crazy things ahead for this Auburn football team. Also, a lot of uh, big games, big storylines right now across the SEC, including uh, a 2-0 Arkansas Razorbacks team. Arkansas has defeated Cincinnati, and they won an SEC game against South Carolina to start the year. A lot of conversations on social media about so many different teams. We're talking about overreactions that you see on social media quite frequently. And uh, this is some sound for you today coming here in the SEC. Sam Pittman, the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Well, I think it's a big deal. Uh, I do. Um, Everybody always looks at the negative all the time, you know, and I tweeted out that we were number 10, and then I got some responses. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, I ain't tweeting it out to you guys or a 50-year-old man. I'm trying to use his recruiting, you know, so I really don't care what the guy says. You know what I mean? I'm trying to recruit, not him or them. I recruit. And uh, so we're proud of it. Sure, we're proud of it. And that doesn't mean that that's where we want to stay or – it's hard to be in the top ten. We've done it two years in a row. The kids have done it, and the coaches, the assistant coaches have done it. Yeah, I'm proud of it. Sure am. Whenever it came out, I was smiling ear to ear. Now, what that means right now, it means that we're number ten today, and I tweeted it out. I'm, I'm proud of it. Well, Sam I Pittman think- right there talking about uh, a top ten Arkansas football team. That guy's funny. He's got a great personality, uh, and Arkansas yeah, is pretty good. Pretty good team. Yeah, no, Sam's an easily likable guy. First name basis with and, him. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, you know, me and Sam, we get a barbecue, we get one of them beverages after the game. Uh, uh. You know, but but what what Sam Pittman has done in Arkansas too, and and that's where he's kind of talking about. Do you think about when Chad Morris was there? Sure. And if I told you three years later they're number ten in the country, you would have looked at me like I had three heads. You know that that's. Whatever they finish this year, that's the impressive thing that he's done. And Arkansas is not like one of these big programs that's just easy to just build like that. So no matter what you think Arkansas' season will become or what their ceiling is, to get to this point with them, and he said two years in a row of getting to this point with Arkansas, just would have been unfathomable when Chad Morris was there a few years ago. And when the the hire was made – Everyone's yeah, like, everyone's me like, too. the offensive line coach from Georgia. I'm guilty of that as well. I was like, they just don't want to be good. I was, I was pretty critical <laughs> yeah. of it. I didn't understand, and now I understand. 
They proved us. They proved us wrong there. Arkansas, number ten in the country. They take on Missouri State on Saturday. Next week, they take on number 24, Texas A&M. That game will be in Arlington, per usual. And then on October 1st, three weeks from now, at home, Arkansas taking on number 2, Alabama. Right now, if things stay the way they currently are, a top 10 matchup between the Arkansas Razorbacks and the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're talking all things SEC football and an Auburn team that's getting set to host the top 25 team in the Penn State Nittany Lions. They are number 22 right now in the college football rankings and uh, still some question marks about this Auburn team. Let's take your phone calls. To the phone lines we go. Terry from Auburn. Terry has called into Sports Call today. Hi, Terry. Hey, JJ, Ryan, Brooks, how y'all doing? Doing well. How are you? Great. Great. Um, guys, that's the part that bothers me the most as, a, as an Auburn fan, is Arkansas, the positivity and the way the Arkansas team is headed and the way the Tennessee team is headed. And in some parts, some other parts of the conference, and then Auburn just seems to be stagnant. We're, we're discussing whether T.J. Finley's improved or not. Uh, that, that, why that's not bothering more Auburn fans, I don't know, but it's not. But nevertheless, listen, guys, I know I'm, I'm hard on T.J., and I've been, I've been pretty rough on him. And 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 but but here's the thing: if he has improved in the things that don't directly affect the game, how can you sit and tell me he's improved? Just because he gets everybody lined up, gets them in the right play, that 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 that's all that's all well and good and everything. But uh, it's like I drew the comparison. I got a cousin, Liz Overbringham, who's a professional artist, and he always tells me he said, "There's people that build the picture frames, there's people who draw the pictures." So that, that's 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 how you put it, and that's how I put it. So it just bothers me. What bothers me, nobody else to talk about also, is the fact that – do you all remember the quarterbacks that were in the transfer portal and we settled on T.J. Finley and Zach Calzada? Yeah, I mean, Finley a year ago um, and, and then right. Calzada a year later. Yeah, right, I mean, right. feels like there's a million quarterbacks in the portal each and every year. So Yeah, I mean, and the Brian Harsey can't do better than that. Yeah, I mean, I mean – that, 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 that's what bothers me. You're talking about a guy that had basically one good game and decent, decent, decent play afterwards, and then a guy that's never been consistent at all. Sure. And, yeah. that, and that, that's not my opinion, guys. That's a fact. Yeah. No, I mean, look, we, we definitely need to see a little bit more consistent play from Finley moving forward. I've been in the same boat with you. I, I think that, uh, like I said yesterday after your call, I think both things can be true. I, I do think in, in some areas Finley has gotten better, but those three interceptions against teams that uh, aren't great, aren't SEC, aren't Power 5, you just can't have something like that whatsoever. Um, and, and we'll see what those other options look like at quarterback. Uh, we haven't seen Calzada healthy and in the ball game yet at this point, and um, Auburn hasn't, for whatever reason, allowed Robbie Ashford to run the full offense. Well, then when I hear people talk about Holden Gurner and the other commitment out of Florida, whatever, that's fine. But those that, that's those are guys for the next regime. Brian Harson's not going to be there to coach those guys. So um, that just that's just that's just the truth. We don't know how that's going to turn out. No, nobody. They could be superstars, or they could be total busts. And they could decide they don't want to play for a new football coach yeah, if sure. Auburn moves they, on. Exactly. There's a lot of factors there. They could decide they don't want to play for the next guy. Who knows? So there's this, it's really unfair to bring them up. Uh, it's like it's like I got into a discussion with a guy one time about um, you know players being compared to recruits. I said it's, it's insulting to what the players already accomplished, but to compare them to a recruit. Right. Yeah. It's just it's just disgustingly. I mean, it's disgusting to to. to Disgusting to compare. Disgusting to compare that. It is easy for me to say, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I just don't understand, guys. I mean, at this point, can Robbie Ashford run the wing tee? Because that's what we're going to have to do. Because TJ is never going to complete passes on a consistent basis. I'm tired of hearing about the 12 or 15 against San Jose State. I could complete 
12-15 at San Jose State. Yeah, okay? and throwing the qualifier in there after an interception. Right. And here's the thing. Another thing, guys, take the 14 schools in the Southeastern Conference. How many quarterbacks would you take over T.J. Finley? We play this thought exercise all the time, and, and I think yeah. it's been some of uh, Ryan's wisest talks talking about Bo Nix's play last year and knowing that T.J. Finley was below that, and there's still uh, way over half of the quarterbacks in the conference uh, that were more, you know, better polished and that sort of thing. So, right. uh, yeah, there are several quarterbacks that would be a better fit right now. And I don't talk about baseball much, but did the Braves pick a bad time to go on a losing streak at all? Yeah, after eight in a row to, to now drop three of them. Man, oh, man, it's tough. At least yeah, the Mets cool. lost yesterday, so the difference is still a game and a half. Um, but uh, you would have loved when, – when you see a team lose like that, it's like, okay, this is our perfect opportunity to gain a game back. And, yeah, mm-hmm. Atlanta's now lost three in a row. And you're out on the West Coast where things are, are later. But right. I don't know. I just uh, That Giants team is always – to me, it's always a team I don't, I don't want to see in September. No. I just I – just, just but they picked the worst time in the world to go on a losing streak. Yes, they did. Hopefully they can get out of it a little bit later tonight, that's for sure. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right, see you, Terry. That's uh, Terry from Auburn, formerly from Talladega. Joining us here on the program, and yeah, guys, a lot of conversation per usual uh, regarding quarterbacks for any football team, but in particular Auburn this season. I just think it's too tough to tell right now if Finley's improved, which you can argue is is already a concerning enough point. But we really had never seen T.J. Finley play a full game against a smaller team like if you go through the game logs obviously he had that Georgia State game last year where he subbed in for Bo Nix and made that crazy fourth down play it was not a great game that day for Finley he was 9 of 16 for 97 yards a touchdown no interceptions so you know you you really don't have these little games to compare it to to be quite honest with you uh we we see the percent the completion percentage is higher Again, what is it? Does it come down when you play these good teams, and then to what degree? Because it's ten percent above what he was last year. He's only fifty-four percent last year. So is it in sixty-four percent right now? So is it sixty? Is it fifty-seven? Is it fifty-five? Is it is it say the same? I don't know. But what is worse so far is the turnovers, and we talked about just one interception last year already three this year so there's things in both directions and that can kind of go ahead and be concerning enough because if you get the quarterback play you got with tj finley last year that's what you alluded to the point i made a couple weeks ago look bo nix was somewhere in the middle of the pack in the sec last year tj finley was worse so if you like the quarterbacks in the SEC, which I think everyone does, and so far there's nothing to deviate from that, if you like most of the league's quarterbacks, you know that you have a quarterback that was at the bottom or towards the bottom last year, then and you're not sure if that guy's improved, then you've got one of the bottom quarterbacks in the league, and you've got some other nice parts of your team, but you don't have the overwhelming. Look, look, Texas A&M's got one of the bottom quarterbacks. They've got a lot of talent everywhere else. So far through two games, it's very concerning. So the reality is they're going to have to find better quarterback play, and the test of whether that quarterback play can hold up against these good teams, the first real test of that is this weekend. On Saturday, the Auburn Tigers are going to host Penn State crazy matchup coming to Jordan-Hare Stadium. You'll be able to listen to the game on FM Talk 93.9 and we will preview the competition with our good buddy Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. We do that next here on Sports Call.
you want to join our conversation, tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson here inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress. We hope that you're doing well on this Tuesday. It has been a fun show so far as we've been talking about Auburn football and the rest of the college football world. Uh, some NFL conversations earlier in the program, too. What we're excited to do right now is go to our Auburn Bank phone line and bring on a good friend of the program, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, back with us for another visit. Ferg, we hope that you're doing well. This Auburn football team is 2-0 to start the year. Uh, what concerns you most about this football team so far, though? Uh, the concerns are the fact that Auburn's pass defense is not very good. Uh, they have been very leaky in coverage against two teams that really they shouldn't have had much struggles against. Um, they've won the game. They did enough. They made enough plays, but... Uh, just the way teams are completing quick passes on Auburn and kind of moving the field on them is, is a concern because Penn State did this last season to Auburn, and they did it at a really good rate with Sean Clifford. He's back this year. Uh, he doesn't have Jahan Dotson back, but he's got pretty much everybody else back at receiver. He's also got Mitchell Tinsley, who's a really good Western Kentucky transfer uh, that's kind of replaced Dotson in that role. Um, so that's a big concern. I mean, Auburn's simply just got to play better on the back end in order to have a chance to win this game on Saturday against Penn State and, and to be a decent football team moving forward. On offense, I don't know if I have a, as much concern about Auburn's offense just because I think you know there's still a lot of stuff we haven't seen from them yet because of the nature of the first two games. Um, but, you know, you need more consistency out of your offensive line. Uh, you need more consistency and less mistakes from your quarterbacks. Um, and you want to you want to see your wide receivers step up and play a little bit better. So, I mean, pretty much everybody on this team, on both sides of the ball and in the coaching staff, can improve and and, and take steps forward. They they're going to have to for Auburn to be a good football team. So, um, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to you know have a they're doomed to a bad season or that they can't improve. I think a lot of that can change here in these next couple of weeks. Um, but they're going to have to they're going to have to do it pretty quickly because uh, Penn State is bringing a pretty good football team into town. Flip the script. What are the uh, biggest reasons for optimism for Auburn football through two weeks? Uh, I, I think they can run the football pretty well. I think even though the offensive line's got some new faces and they haven't been super, super consistent, uh, I think Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter, and now with Damari Austin, they've shown an ability to break tackles, bounce to the outside, and make some really good plays, um, You know, even if the blocking isn't perfect every single play. Um, so I think that's a really good sign. I think those two guys – and the addition of Austin, they've improved there. Um, you know, I think I think TJ Finley is continuing to get better as a quarterback. Um, you know, he, he bounced back really well from his problems against San Jose State. Uh, he's just got to do it against much better competition here moving forward. Um, so, but you know, I think I think you've seen some improvements from Finley. I don't know what his ceiling is, uh, you know, as a starter, but like you know, he is trending in the right direction after having a couple of. You know, really, uh, you know, a couple of bad throws against um, Mercer, and then a really bad one against, um, you know, a really bad start against San Jose State. But he bounced back well from that. 
not on the defensive side, I think Auburn's defensive front is going to keep them in a lot of games. We saw this last year against Alabama. We saw it in a lot of other games. Auburn's getting a ton of pass rush. Um, you know, I know people are sitting there saying, well, they're not getting a lot of sacks. But, like, man, they are getting after the quarterbacks, um, and they're doing their part. And they're stopping the run at a really, really high rate. That defensive front is going to keep Auburn competitive against a lot of teams, and I think it's going to keep them competitive this weekend against Penn State. You have Derek Hall. You have Colby Wooden. I think uh, Eculeota's had a fantastic start to the season. Um, Marcus, Marcus Harris has improved. Um, you know, guys like Marcus Bragg. Uh, Jeffrey Imbaugh and some others have, have been good pickups for Auburn. Jason Jones, obviously, um, playing a starting role in certain packages. That defensive front looks really good. Um, Cam Riley has had a great start to the season. I think Owen Papo is getting back into the swing of things coming off that injury. So defensive front, I, I, you know, if, if I'm building a football team, what I want first and foremost is a quarterback that can win me games. But the second thing I want is an elite defensive front, and I think Auburn potentially has one of those. Um, so they got to get better around those guys, and they can also get better. But, you know, I really, really like that, that defensive front. And even if they don't get the stats that people may expect against teams like San Jose State and Mercer, I thought they played well in both games, and they're going to have to play well for Auburn to have a chance to beat Penn State on Saturday. Justin, you talked about T.J. Finley there, but I want to get your, uh, get your takes on the quarterback position as a whole so far but, uh, after two weeks of the season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a situation that I thought – was probably going to happen early in the year. Uh, I think the last game, maybe it kind of happened a little backwards in this case. But, you know, T.J. Finley's your starting quarterback. He's going to get the majority of the reps. Robbie Astor's still coming along, right? You know, he's he's really talented as a runner. He opens up the running game for Auburn. Um, He he, he provides a lot of value there. You want to get that on the field uh, when you can. But he is still very much developing as a passer. I think Saturday night against San San Jose State showed that. I don't think he's got the full scope of the offense under his belt yet because he is new. Um, so I don't know if he can do all the things you want your starter to do at this point, but he's coming on and he's developing. I think week by week you're going to see growth out of him in a position where he can continue to help out Auburn in a v- different ways. But the main thing is, is TJ Finley's got to be your guy right now because I don't think Robbie Ashford is ready to be the guy at the moment. Instead, he's a really good playmaker that you can use situationally. The big thing for Auburn is TJ Finley's got to – take advantage of the fact that he's playing these next few games at home um, and, and get some good momentum going um, because, you know, he's got the ability to make some really good throws and some really good plays. He's just got to get a lot more consistent and cut down on some of those mistakes. Ferg, something I really haven't heard many people talk about, but it was something in the preseason that was at least hinted that there would be more of this this year, is Tank Bigsby's involvement in the passing game as a receiver. He was actually the most targeted player for Auburn in the San Jose Jose State game. So what are your thoughts on him trying to develop as as a multifaceted running back trying to catch more passes out of the backfield? You know, he's your best football player on offense, and you need to get that, that player as many touches as you can. Um, you, and you don't necessarily want it to be every single time him slamming into the, to the line as hard as he can, right? You want to get him out in space because he is a dangerous guy at breaking tackles and evading uh, guys um, you know, upfield. So, yeah, him being a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, can line up a receiver, is definitely going to help this team. I think Auburn's been very, very vanilla in their passing game the first two weeks of the season by design. I don't think they've shown a lot. I don't think they've really done a ton uh, on, on, on film that kind of stands out. I think part of that is because they're playing Penn State and they want to throw new stuff at Penn State that they haven't seen on film yet. So um, I think Bisbee's going to be a part of that. But yeah, it's just 
not only making Auburn a better offense because it's easily more targets and more touches for your best player, it's making him a better running back because he's got an NFL future, and the best way to get on the field in the NFL is be a guy that you can you know, keep out there uh, even if it's third down or it's an obvious passing situation. So I think Tank developing that part of his game is only going to make him better. And, um, you know, I'm not surprised that Auburn has already showed some of that this season. When looking at this Penn State team in particular, what kind of matchups are you looking forward to watching? What might be conducive to success for Auburn and, and what might give Auburn some trouble? Auburn's defensive front versus Penn State's offensive front is the biggest area of advantage for Auburn in this game. Penn State's offensive line has got a really good center uh, coming back this year. Uh, Juice Brooks, he's, he's really good, um, but their tackles are experienced, but they've got two new guards starting. Last week against Ohio, they gave up five sacks and eight tackles for loss. They did not run the ball well at all against Purdue. They have not been able to run the ball well at all against um, you know power conference opponents last season. I think they were 90th in that uh, a year ago. Um, so you, for Auburn, you got to take advantage of that, right? Um Sean Clifford is a really good quarterback, and Sean Clifford made a ton of quick throws and hurt Auburn in a variety of ways last season. He's got good receivers uh, to, to lean on. But if Auburn's defensive front can make Penn State even more one-dimensional and then get that pressure on Clifford and really get him going, get him rattled, um, he's not the most consistent passer in the world. So Auburn's defensive front can be a difference maker. I think it's a lot like the Bama game last year where it's like even though uh, you've struggled in your pass defense – and you've got a, an opponent that's got some experience and some talent in that area of the game, that defensive front can win you a ball game or you know, can at least get you in a position to win the ball game. So that's a, that is a matchup I think heavily, heavily favors Auburn. Um, but, you know, the ones that you're – if you're about um, Auburn's wider – I mean, Auburn's cornerbacks against uh, Penn State's wide receivers, um, you just got to be better. you got to tighten up. You've got experience back there. You've got dudes that are making – you just got to – with busting coverages as much, playing with bad eyes, playing with bad leverage, got to be a lot cleaner uh, because guys like Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley and the couple of tight ends they've got at Penn State, which they always have, are really good. Um, so, you know, and Clifford can get the ball to them. So that's one that you're going to, well, if you about everywhere else, things kind of feel pretty even. Um, Auburn's offensive front versus Penn State defensive front will be interesting. Penn State's not a very disruptive defensive front. They don't get a lot of sacks or tackles for loss. They hold up against the ground game pretty well. Um, can Auburn's offensive line hold up, give Finley some time to attack that defense? Uh, that that would be you know ideal and, of course, create lanes for Big Z, for Jarquez Hunter, and for Damari Austin. Another thing, Auburn's wide receivers need to step up because they got their hands full. That secondary for Penn State's pretty good. Joey Porter Jr. is a great cornerback. Uh, they have a safety back there whose name I'm blanking on that had six interceptions last season. They got a couple other guys that have been very disruptive, um, very ha- they're real habit creating, which makes sense because Manny Diaz is their new defensive coordinator, and that's kind of been his identity as a defensive coach throughout his career is, is, is being aggressive. So um, you know Auburn's wide receivers, they're going to get on some islands. They're going to get some opportunities uh, to make plays and win on one on one. They're going to have to do it because at Penn State secondary has got some dudes. And, Justin, I want to stick right there for a little bit. I want to get your thoughts on the wide receivers because Ryan mentioned, you know, that Tank Bigsby had the most targets uh, on, on the offense this past week. But the, and the leading wide receiver was Javarius Johnson. He only had 41 receiving yards. What, what's been your thoughts about their play this past week? Yeah, I think it's, again, very vanilla. They're getting a lot of 
wide receivers on the field, but they're not getting them the ball as much. And Auburn hasn't thrown the ball a lot in the first couple of games, so I don't really fault them quite as much. Um, I think Javarius Johnson just needs to get more targets. I think you need to make him a bigger part of your game plan. He's leading the SEC in yards per catch. He was your best deep ball threat last season. He's a good route runner um, in the slot. I think, you know, if you put him in the slot, you keep you, arguably Auburn's best wide receiver away from a guy like Jordan Porter, away from a couple of those other corners that are really good for Penn State. That might be an area where you can kind of exploit it and kind of manipulate the way Penn State defends you. Um, so he's got to step up. But, yeah, I'm expecting, like, Shed Jackson uh, to have a game. I'm expecting a guy like Corey Moore who's played in some decently sized games in the past to get involved. And then Auburn needs a young guy or two to, you know, make their, make their, a name for themselves in this game, whether it's a Tavares Dawson, whether it's a Camden Brown, um, you know, or guys like that. I think you, you need, you need to have um, some of these guys step up. Having Malcolm Johnson will help back uh, this weekend after he didn't play last week. So look, I mean, I thought the wide receivers looked really good and really clean against Mercer. I don't think they really got much of a chance to do anything in that game. I think they even got less of a chance to do much of anything against San Jose State, but what we did see out of them was pretty good, and if Auburn opens up this offense and gets more creative, uh, I'm sure those guys are going to be a key part of it. What do you think about orange jerseys? I don't like the thought of orange jerseys, and not because it's like, oh, it's tradition, and you know you don't mess with the tradition. I just don't think they would look good. Um, I, think Auburn's, um, I think Auburn's triple stripe that they have on the jerseys um, if, the, if orange is the main color and you have to flip it around, and it just doesn't look right to me. It never has. I think when they used to do it in basketball, it didn't really make sense for me as well. So, you know, if you're going to do orange jerseys, I think it would have to be something like pretty different than what you currently have. Um, so I'm not a fan of it, but it seems like the players are a fan of the idea, um, and those are the guys who really matter because they're actually the ones wearing it, you know, and they're they're the ones giving themselves, you know, permanent body damage playing football for everybody else's entertainment. So, you know, let them wear the clothes that they want. But I think, you know, I, I just don't know if it necessarily aesthetically looks right for Auburn. I love the orange face mask, though. I think the orange face mask is a really cool look. I'm glad Auburn, you know, was willing to kind of do some of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think also Auburn's traditional uniforms, they just, they're very clean. They flow together very well. Um, and putting orange into that, more orange into that, I think you would just throw some things off. So I'm not personally a fan of it, but if the players want to do it and they can figure out a way to do it, go for it. But I think more than likely we're just going to see a lot of orange in the accessories in the face mask this weekend. You can follow Justin Ferguson on Twitter at jfergusonau, and also make sure you check out the Auburn Observer and the great work that they do. Your uh, San Jose State Review podcast uh, that's been released titled I Never Say a Win is a Win from Coach Harson a little bit earlier in the week. I also follow Ferg on Twitter because I'm telling this guy's hilarious and I saw the other day where Robert Sala says the Jets didn't get beat yesterday they lost and Ferg quote tweeted that saying live your truth King. I don't know where you come up with that Ferg but uh, you're hilarious man. Well, I'm glad at least somebody thinks that I'm funny. I don't know how I don't know how good it is that it's JJ who thinks that I'm funny. At least, somebody, at least it's somebody, you know. At least it's, I was at least scrolling it's through your I was scrolling through your timeline as well, and on Sunday you tweeted out that Steelers Bengals might be an all time stupid football game, and then retweeted yourself as the game went further along, and yeah, and no, running back through that made me chuckle a moment ago. It's just like you know. 
five turnovers and you still have a chance to win the game, <laughs> and then you miss the extra point, and then you miss another field goal, and then the other team. Like, it's just, it was so <laughs> dumb. It was so dumb. And, like, I thought that was going to be the dumbest thing I saw all week in the NFL, and then I watched what the Broncos did last night at the Horn <laughs> with their clock management, and it's like, I, I think I tweeted that as well. It's like, you know, the NFL is supposed to have the smartest people in football, and yet there's always a game every week where somebody doesn't know how to read time. And, like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, but, you know, that's just that's just, uh, that's just the NFL for you, man. It's just a lot of people thinking they're smarter than they actually are, and then they have to go out there and prove it. And, you know, we're going to try to kick the second longest field goal in NFL history instead of giving the quarterback we paid you know the gdp of a small country to you know to, to get five yards like how stupid is that you know on the road too like it's just really really dumb i know brandon mcmanus has a powerful leg but it's like hey man go do something that like only justin tucker's ever done before and like you think that that's going to work with a game on the line like it's insane thoughts on baker mayfield and my beloved carolina panthers well i mean you know i i thought i thought for uh, you know, over there, that it was it was going to work out. I, you know, I'm happy for him that you know he is in a spot where like he he's got to be the dude. He's looking like he's having fun out there. Um, probably sucks to lose to the Browns like that. <laughs> but um, I think my my biggest problem with that game was that somebody who owns Nick Chubb in fantasy. Why are we giving Kareem Hunt these touchdowns? Why can't Nick <laughs> Chubb score? You know, why, why why are we letting Kareem Hunt get 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 all this all this going on? But yeah, I think it's gonna be a long season for Carolina. I don't think they're gonna be particularly good. I don't think that Matt Rule is long for the NFL. And um, yeah, yeah, they've got issues, but at least they got some pieces. Like McCaffrey being back is fun. I think Derek Derek's, uh Derek should have a really good season up front. And uh, but they're just a team where it's just like. They're just bizarre. They're just bizarre. But really, I mean, props to them. They they had a chance to win, but I don't know if they're going to beat very many teams or be in a position to beat very many teams uh, that aren't like the Browns and are currently playing just somebody at quarterback because of because of suspensions or injuries. I hope you're wrong, but unfortunately, I think you're certainly on the right path with the logic there. We'll see. Uh, I, I will continue to keep pounding and see what it does for me the rest of this football season. All right, I for, want them to be good. I, I, I no. want them to be good. Don't yeah, we all? Like, it would be nice. It would be. I mean, I lived in Charlotte. I, I worked right across the street from the Panther Stadium for when I interned for several months. Like I've, I've had a soft and Cam and all that. I've had a soft spot for them, but like I don't understand anything they do. And every Sunday they play, I, I, I'm verified in that. Ferg, a former Queen City resident across from yep. Bank of America Stadium. That's what you love to hear. All right, how can we uh, how can we get involved with Auburn Observer? Yeah, uh, go to auburnobserver.com and sign up. It's $6 a month or $60 a year. You can read my newsletter from Monday on Auburn's past coverage, the film room breakdown there. There's a lot of it uh, that you can check out. Uh, today did a story on hidden yardage uh, and why penalties and turnovers are making Auburn look a lot worse than they probably actually are this season and why that's important to clean up against Penn State. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to break down all the things that are similar and different about Penn State in this matchup uh, from what we saw last season. Thursday we've got a podcast with my friend Audrey Snyder from The Athletic who covers Penn State. We'll preview the game from her perspective. I have a mailbag on Friday. We'll have observations and a recap podcast over the weekend. If you want all of that, if any of that sounds decent uh, to you, uh, it's $6 a month or $60 a year. We email everything we do to you. Uh, and uh, if you want to listen to our free recap podcast on the weekends, just search the Auburn Observer wherever you listen to your podcast. 
Ferg, I won't be at the game on Saturday. Uh, you'll have to say hello to Ryan and Brooks in the press box instead of me, okay? Yeah, well, maybe Auburn will play better. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Thanks for the time today, Ferg. We'll talk soon, okay? Yeah, see you, bud. All right, that's uh, Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Observer joining us here on the program. That's someone who... Uh, takes pleasure in putting me in my place from time to time. Hey, he was thinking what we all think. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Justin uh, uh, realized the question. You said, how can you, we get involved with Auburn Observer? I think you were just asking if you could be on the podcast. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, this is where I do the plug, Yeah, and I'm playing just, the long game. You were just I'm asking like, you know, if I could get on. Maybe I can get on the podcast. Who knows? All right, uh, look, guess what? We've reached the end of hour number two. Of sports so, call. Feels like it's only been an hour for it me. It flew by. Man, it's been a whole lot of fun. Alongside Brooks Childress and Ryan LaVoy, my name is JJ Jackson. Two hours in the Bucks, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started. Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with my good pals Brooks Childress and Ryan Lavoy. We hope that everyone is doing well on this Tuesday. If you would like to be a part of the show, feel free to call in 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 9 tiger 9 to be on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. All right, as we get going in the third hour of today's program, we do this each and every day. Let's give you our daily show recap. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. <sighs> Boy. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? Brooks Childress, I ask you, what has happened on Sports Call so far today? Uh, three guys have talked. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so we've had some great show, uh, great show today. We've had some great calls that we've had so far today. We had some great interviews. We just finished talking with Justin Ferguson from the Auburn Observer. We usually talk to him about once a week on here, usually Tuesday or Wednesday. And so he was a good interview. Also earlier in the show, Dave Archer the, from the Falcons Radio Network was on with us. It was a really, really solid interview talking about the start of the season for those Atlanta Falcons. They are 0-1 on the year unfortunate for falcons fans not unfortunate for you know other fans of their division um but it was uh it, it was a rough start for them they've got the rams coming up this weekend on the road the defending super bowl champions so talked a little bit about that and uh yeah we've, we've talked a lot about this auburn football team per you know what you, we should as we are in the heart of football season two weeks in getting ready for a big one this saturday at jordan here stadium the orange out penn state 
may or may not have mentioned orange jer- orange jerseys on the show today once or twice. So it's uh yeah, it's been a fun show today. Got one more hour to go, so stick with us. The Sports Call Podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure that you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy an ice cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. JJ Jackson here inside the studio with Ryan Lavoy and Brooks Childress, as forementioned. And uh, we're talking Auburn football as they get set for the big game coming up against uh, Penn State. A win against San Jose State this past Saturday, 24-16. We talked about the defensive concerns for the Tigers in that secondary as a Penn State squad gets set to come to town. Uh, But let's talk quarterbacks because that's what people love to discuss. That's what we love to discuss TJ Finley, Robbie Ashford, Zach Calzada, Holden Gurner. We're talking about all the, I mean, uh, Terry mentioned quarterbacks already committed in the future and Adrian Posse in 2024. I mean, look, you got to have a good quarterback in order to have a good football team. We've seen eight quarters worth of quarterback play for Auburn football so far this year. And uh, how do you sum it up, Ryan? Well, I sum up the eight quarters as a little tumultuous. Um, Losing at half to San Jose State is just not, and the what you want to have happen you know ultimately uh winning the game is still the most important thing and obviously brian harson after the game was not too focused on how you win it but that you want it especially in a day where notre dame loses to marshall nebraska loses to georgia southern and texas a&m loses to app state so obviously winning winning is still valuable but there's real concerns with the team you know i think with what Ferg was kind of talking about with Auburn and Penn State and how they're going to match up a little bit. You know, I think with Penn State's pass rush is something of note to me. Like, I think Penn State, um, even though they haven't necessarily gotten a lot of sacks, it's kind of along the same lines of what Ferg was talking about with Auburn. I think the pressure has been there, just the completion of the sack maybe has not happened. I think when I look kind of the flip side of that, I think Auburn has a really good opportunity to sack the quarterback more against Penn State because Sean Clifford's not very mobile. Uh, he, I'm not saying he will never have a scramble, but he is definitely one of more one of the more immobile quarterbacks that you're going to play. And so when you get pressure, unless Clifford's going to get rid of it immediately, you're going to have more opportunities there to get the quarterback down, certainly more than what you saw last week when uh, Cordero was kind of running around for San Jose State making Indeed. a few plays with his legs. So I think that's an opportunity for Auburn's defense. I do agree that the defensive backfield has been a little disappointing so far. Uh, they have given up plays. Cordero threw for 275 yards. Like That's a respectable total for anybody, especially for San Jose State uh, against Auburn. So – I do think there's some concerns there, but I think they, those could be covered up a little bit by a good defensive line. I just believe good defensive lines can cover up mis- mistakes and and problems in the back half of the defense, and I think Auburn have an opportunity to do that again. So, you know, I, Penn State's favored, and I totally get that. Auburn is banking on a, a great crowd. They're banking on mistakes from Penn State because of that great crowd. I think Auburn is clearly more tough to play at than Purdue. However, Penn State has at least played and road environment. Purdue is not an easy road environment. It is There are definitely easier ones than Purdue, and especially to start a season at night on the road. 
I would say it's a B minus or B environment. It's a respectable environment. Now Auburn's an A environment though, and it's 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 difficult. So you you hope that there will be mistakes because of that, but you can't guarantee it just because of Clifford's experience and because Penn State is at least had a test this year, whereas I mentioned earlier, Auburn's just had a couple of quizzes so far. But, you know, I, I think this will be a close game. I think this will be a one possession type of game. And so it's whoever makes the worst mistake or the most timely mistake or just the most mistakes overall is probably who is going to regret it the most. But um, I, 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 there's just a lot we don't know. And, and, and we, we feel collectively worse about it because yeah. these two games were not very successful. But look, even if Auburn had pounded Mercer and pounded San Jose State, I would have just pointed you to what happened the first two games of last year. So there was really no no scenario where I think you just guarantee a win against Penn State, who is now ranked in the top 25. I don't think either way those two games would have made you feel confident that you were going to win or lose these games. So uh, the reality is that this is going to be a hotly contested game. And it's going to come down to it's going to be one of those type of games where a couple plays, good or bad, will will determine the outcome. Auburn football getting set to take on Penn State on Saturday. Kickoff set for two thirty, and the Tigers will need to see improvements on both the offensive and defensive side of the football if they want to walk away with the victory. Thank goodness Auburn has won both of their games to start the year, or things would be really, really chaotic this time of year. All of our sports call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. Visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, equal housing lender, to be a part of the show, 334-887-3401. We take your phone calls when we come back from this commercial break. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Now, back to more Sports Call with J.J. Jackson and the guys. Sports Call moves along on this Tuesday. Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy. Our thanks again, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joined us earlier. Also, Dave Archer from the Falcons Radio Network. You get to listen to Falcons football on our airwaves each and every week here on Tiger 95.9 FM. We said it a moment ago, but your phone calls are always welcome. 334 337-3401 as we go to our Auburn Bank phone line and joining us now on the program Ward Dam Steve retired Ward Dam Steve is here with us on Sports Call hello Steve okay the clock is starting now there we go what's on your mind today War Eagle let's go right, War Eagle hey Ryan what's up hey man I just got through uh, seeing uh, the beast Uh, thumbs up yeah I uh, enjoyed it as well. That's the one you have seen already, right? I saw it eight days ago, yeah. And you saw a movie right. yesterday. I saw Barbarian yesterday. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to see Barbarian. Is it, is it good? Is it the trailer looks? 
It, it, it is. Uh, it's pretty fascinating how the different elements of horror are used, so I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, all right, let's get to it, guys. I'm agreeing with Philip Marshall's uh, column that he wrote, uh, I think it was yesterday evening, and what he said was basically this game is very, very big for not only Harson, uh, but also for this team season. Because uh, I know I said 9-3. and three. If, however, this team performs like they did Saturday night, it's going to be a 5-7 and seven record. I, I mean, I can't see them winning more than five games if they played the way they did Saturday night. Uh, now, if they don't, then I think we do have a chance, or you have a chance of either 8-4 and or 9-3. and three. But, you know, some things have really got to change. You know what those are because I said them yesterday. All right, having said that, guys, you know that, uh, what's his name, Cardinal? Uh, what's his name, the, the uh, Cardinal, uh, the uh, Penn State quarterback? Clifford. Clifford. Clifford, Clifford. Well, I'm supposed to start to see. Right. Cardinals are red and Clifford year. the big red dog. You were kind of there. All right. Well, you know, he burned us last, year, last season. Uh, their game, 28 of 32. Am I, am I recall that correctly? Yep, that was what it was. Yep. He can't do that again. If he does, we're toast. Yeah, it would be a big problem. Oh, yeah. And what I'm thinking right now is when is when are our, when is Jeff Schmedling and the rest of our uh, defensive uh, coaches, when are they going to finally get the message, uh, either from Stattery or just watching, you can't keep letting people be wide open in the middle on slant uh, passes on uh, and these pass interference calls with Pritchett. I mean, if they don't clean that up, guys, I mean, who, who has to tell them this? Do I need to text them? Can you guys text them and tell them to stop that? Well, you know, I think – Here's what I'll say. I, I expect a different defensive game plan against Penn State. I, I think they will play a little closer to their wide receivers because something Brian Harson has mentioned this week and in, in, post-game after the San Jose State game is he's not happy that they've not forced any turnovers. And he talked about in the press conference that one of the trade-offs to playing further back off of wide receivers is you usually don't force as many turnovers because you're kind of allowing it's soft coverage. You're you're not you're you're just allowing the catch more often than not, and you're just relying on quick tackles to to keep it to short yardage. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they played some different coverages trying to force a turnover. All right, and where's Derek Hall? And he's wanting to surpass. Nick Fairley's a sack record. That ain't happening yet. Got some work to do. Yeah, I mean, Auburn obviously did not get a lot of quarterback pressure against Mercer. Three sacks on Saturday against San Jose State, and Derek Hall was not one of those guys. Uh, but hopefully they can get more pressure in the weeks to come. Okay, but how, guys? I mean, I'll lay it on line right now, and Terry's kind of negative on our team, but I'm just being realistic. If you can't get the three sacks against San Jose State's quarterback, but Portland State the week before got eight, How's that explainable? That's that's a hard one to explain. I will give you that because Cordero is very slippery. So in a vacuum, if I just told you three sacks, I would say, well, that's not bad because this kid can run, he can move around, and it, they could do some, some things with him, get him out of the pocket, that sort of thing. But the fact that Portland State got eight sacks is very confusing and possibly concerning. The only thing I would say is when you watch – some things is that San Jose State did get the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. They had a lot of seven-yard seven stop routes. They did move the pocket some. And I, I didn't watch the Portland State game to tell you if they did that against them or not. They might well, have that's thought. That's what I'm going to ask you, Ron. How could they have do that to us but against a 
Well, a different game plan is what I'm. Well, different game plan is what I'm saying. Again, it would be very possible that they would assume that Portland State would not get a lot of pressure. Therefore, they were throwing deep passes. They were having you know five step drops and that sort of thing. And so against Auburn, when they've already seen, well, heck, if Portland State goes for eight sacks, Auburn will get us for ten. We have to we have to do something else. So it's entirely possible that they change their game plan dramatically to get the quicker stuff. Out and so, like I said, I had I ha- I have not seen the Portland State game, or I did not watch the Portland State game to confirm that their game plan was vastly different. But it's very possible that you you have a normal game plan where you're throwing deep balls and you're throwing normal passes. You then see how bad that went, and you know you're playing Auburn, and therefore you shift to all the quick stuff. Okay, because I'm just you know I, I, I look at the talented players, and surely we can have more talented players than. Portland State, oh, but it didn't show yeah. it. It didn't show it. All right, um, moving on real quickly. Thank goodness uh, the Cubs came through last night and beat uh, uh, the, the Mets, or we'd be even further behind. What's wrong with the Braves, man? Three to two, I think, was the final. Wasn't That's it? right. Yeah, they've lost three in a row now after winning eight consecutive one, games. One game. I mean, one run losses. What's going on? Yeah, it's tough. It's tough spot to be in, and it's just baseball. I hate to say that, but. It's a long season. Hopefully they can kind of figure things out. Kyle Wright gets the baseball tonight after Strider had it yesterday. And, uh, Ryan, we haven't seen very many losing streaks. The one positive is that Atlanta, typically after these three-game losing streaks, they kind of go on a run and have equaled it out throughout the season. Yeah, there's everything is just, you know, it's it's close margins. They, they've not scored a ton of runs over the last 10 or so games, and so they – you know, lost a low-scoring game last night. The, the Seattle game, they were about to have a low-scoring game, then had a huge ninth inning. They were on six to two, scored five runs, and then Kenley Jansen, who has now blown four of his last seven save opportunities, blew that one. They lost it. So I think Kenley Jansen having some struggles recently is hurting them. And then again, they've been a little home run happy, and so they've not really put together a lot of games with seven, eight, nine runs to where. They're scoring early and, and often. Okay. All right. So, with that being said, come Saturday, my daughter and I are going to be there. Uh, I heard your uh, forecast. It may not be rain, but it'll be sweating uh, for me. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be in the Section 43, Row 3, and that's where the good sunlight will be hitting us. Uh, I'm going to be limited to six words the entire game. And those six words will be War Damn Eagle and or Get His Ass. <laughs> Uh, and that's, that's Steve, all that's I'll remarkable. That's good stuff. <laughs> Guys, well, could you well, imagine if I'm we all were saying, watching games like that and only getting to use those two phrases? Hey, oh, that's great. I mean, you'll be saying war damn you because we're doing something right. Right. Or get his ass before, you know, we, we really get bombed. <laughs> yeah. You know? so yeah. That, that's what I'm being limited to. And, uh, Ryan, real quickly, if you want to see those kind of movies like Barbarian, uh, see the, the movie Fresh. The Dinner Party. Oh, okay. I've not heard of check, that. Yeah, check those out. Uh, the one I think is on Hulu. The other one I think may be on uh, Tubi. Uh, okay. But Who? they're the kind of movie that will get you wondering, oh, my God, it'll, it's cringeworthy. Actually, okay. you know what? I think I've heard of Dinner Party. I've not heard of Fresh, I don't think. Fresh is really, oh, you, you, it'll keep you on, on your toes. <laughs> All right. Uh, but I'll be able to, I will not be sitting down at that game. There you I go. I think it's going to be like 87 degrees. Is that right? Weather forecast, Ryan, for Saturday's game, 87 degrees yeah, sound right mid, to you? Yeah, mid to upper 80s, uh, very low chance of rain, if anything. A lot of sunshine, which, I mean, you know, if you're going to play a 230 game 
and your one defense is you're saying that Penn State wants you know you want Penn State in a hot environment then you do want it hotter because otherwise you want a night game so you have a little you know the feeling is always with stadiums they're a little louder at night people have had certain substances throughout the day that helps with the with the noise uh, level so if you're playing an afternoon game you want to be a little bit hotter for the northern team I'm going to ask you, uh, with the talent that they have, will that really be an advantage for us? Will the community affect them that much, or now it's a wash? I, I would expect, now that we're a couple games in, Penn State's going to be conditioned enough to where it shouldn't be a big deal for them. I would have questions about their strength and conditioning if, if they can't take it by now because, you know, look, it, it, the high is projected to be 88. That is definitely warm, but it's not sweltering. It's not like it's never been 88 in Pennsylvania Well, I'm before. sweating already. <laughs> but I'm just saying for the for these 20-year-olds, 41-year-olds, they've been in 88-degree weather before. It's not something they've never seen. Yeah, but that's where we're sitting. About on the field, it's probably going to be, what, at least in the 90s. It's a little warmer on the field. It is. I, again, I'm, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm just saying that it shouldn't be like a cramp fest. They might have a player or two. But they, they if, you're, if you're a good strength and di- conditioning guy, you should have your guys ready by week three to take that. Well, speaking of that real quickly, you know, I, I, I remember the officials during the offseason addressing, you know, people, you know, flagrantly, you know, uh, falling down you know, on, onto the field when maybe uh, they didn't want to call a timeout. Uh, do you foresee any of that happening if we're, you know, on a roll and uh, Penn State players are falling down on the field? The two times that typically happens is you've got a really long drive and number of plays, so we're talking 10, 12, 13 play drives, or if you're talking really up-tempo offense. Like it happens to Ole Miss a lot because Lane Kiffin's trying to get like eight plays off in a minute. I mean, he's just going hyperspeed. So – Auburn has not been running a lot of up-tempo offense, so unless we see something weird there, that rules that element out. And so otherwise, Auburn needs to put together good drives. Otherwise, if they're not putting together 8-10 to to 12-play drives, then there's no reason for Penn State to even feign any injuries. Who will be the officials? I do not. or what conference? Oh, that's a good question. My first instinct is that SEC home game would be SEC officials, but that might be – it might be because it's already an SEC home game. It might be reason to say we're going to even it out with Big Ten officials. I do not know. JJ is going to try and find it, but I, I, I think I'm trying to remember who the refs were for the Texas Alabama game. I think those were Big Twelve refs, and it was a it was a Texas home game. So it's it might be it might be SEC refs. Okay, mark my word. Time is up. If for some reason it comes down on my side of the end zone that Penn State is. You know, having to score a touchdown with less than a minute left in the game, and they're down there driving, and there's no other you know Auburn player around to stop them. I will sacrifice myself since I'm on row three. I will jump over security guards and do what that LSU fan did, and just <laughs> run at them. That'd be awesome. I'll take one for the team. Well, we we all appreciate that. Okay, with that, guys, thank you for your time. I enjoyed rambling, enjoyed the movie, and uh, y'all have a safe afternoon and evening, and. Let's see the Braves can pull it out tonight. That's War right. Eagle, War Eagle. Thank you so much. That's our good friend, retired Ward M. Steve, joining us here on the program. I have not seen officials listed yet for Saturday's game. I don't know Auburn. when those are typically even and, announced. Uh, I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. I'm trying, look, to, I'm trying to do some research here. Is, but Is that what you recall Big 12 refs for the, the Texas-Alabama game? And I'm trying to think, you know, what, what was it for Oregon-Georgia? I know that wasn't a home game, but it was 
you know, Georgia decidedly on this side I of the have country. The full crew for last year's Auburn and Penn State game. Well, that might give us a clue. Well, the referee was James Carter. That's an SEC ref. Russ Poley, Ronald Tubbs was the linesman. Walter Flowers, Dax Hill, Jay Brown, uh, Glenn Fuick, yeah, and an SEC Ted ref. Pitts. I, I, I and I doubt they mix crews. I mean, I don't know for a fact, but that I don't know that. So uh, an SEC ref last year in Auburn being the away team, so maybe Big, Big Ten, Ten officials. I, again, I really don't know. You can way. make. You can say it, it. You can say it makes sense from either side. You can say, "Oh, it's an SEC territory, therefore you want the that crew that's used to going to that part of the country," or you could say, "Well, the SEC team is the home team; they already have an advantage in that. We're going to give uh, the the crew. We're going to do Big Ten refs to even out." You know, I don't. I, I feel like it's been done both ways. I really, I, I don't know if there's a rule of thumb. Honestly, talking about that out loud. What do you think, Brooks? Do you have any ideas on who the officials could be? I mean, first guess is I would say probably if, if you, like you said, if last year's at Penn State was Big Ten or was SEC officials, you would think that this this would be SEC officials. You, usually with these, or the, this year would be Big Ten officials in Jordan-Hare Stadium. I mean, you usually think about, you know, when you have, like Ryan was saying, when you have these out-of-conference matchups, the away team gets their Big Ten officials because if you said they were SEC officials last year, I would say probably, you know, you get the get the road. Their last college football headline was from August 31st. That Big Ten referee, John F.L., as a referee position coach. Oh, a referee position coach. Yeah. I thought you meant position coach. He's like Trey Lance's quarterback coach yeah. or something. No, <laughs> that's that. greasy, isn't it? Did you- we will have more sports call right after this. Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. Our Falcons play here. Hey, let's pick together and let's go win. Win on three. One, two, three. It's a new season and a new team. Catch all the action Sunday as our Falcons travel out west to take on Matthew Stafford of the Los Angeles Rams. Catch all the action here. Catch each and every Falcons game here. Atlanta Falcons football on WTGZ Tiger 95.9. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. This is Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson with Ryan the Boy and Brooks Childress inside our studios. Uh, just a few minutes left here in today's edition of Sports Call, and we're going to take some phone calls to get us out of here as we go to our Auburn Bank phone line, gentlemen. And joining us here on the program, we've got Michael from Auburn. Michael has called into Sports Call today. Hello, Michael. Hey guys, you were talking about the referees and and who calls it. If you can remember, uh, so the atrocious targeting call last year, and I can't remember if it was Smoke Monday or Roger McCreary that they got called with targeting. At the goal line? At the goal line. Yeah, I think that was the Kobe McClain, if I remember correctly on that play. Yeah. So here's the issue, and here's what what I remember not only about that call, is when a call goes under video review, it has to go 
to an off-site location. So for the SEC, that goes to Birmingham headquarters. I don't know who that is for the Big Ten. And from what I remember, when that call went to review, it went to Birmingham. Correct? Yeah, and, and we just listed off some SEC officials that were on assignment for that game. And so for the Big Ten, like, if something goes under review, I don't know where the Big Ten home site is. But in I Indianapolis, would imagine, I would imagine. It, they would have to take that call in Indianapolis and then then play that, you know, back to Jordan Hare. Right. Okay. Yeah. It may like we were starting to think maybe it is just hey, you're the visiting team, so we'll use your conferences um, officials and that sort of thing. But Ryan asked, I was trying to remember who the Alabama and Texas officials were this past weekend, and I couldn't come up with it. I don't remember. So if anything goes under review, I don't know how that would, you know, for this weekend, how that would be handled, or if anything would have been under review for Mercer or uh, uh, San Jose State or how that would have been handled. But let's just hope for, you know, and, and that was another thing that I'm going to have to look up and try to get back to y'all on is, like, how many targeting calls have been, you know, the last year for the Big Ten as opposed to, like, an SEC, you know, uh, does one conference have more targeting calls and ejections than the other conference? And so – Hopefully, you know, maybe that that bodes well for all. And, and Michael, it's it's funny you mentioned that, and I wish that we had the evidence in front of us, but of course we don't. Ryan and I at SEC Media Days this year sat in a uh, seminar with John McDade and Ryan targeting calls. He had it broken down, yeah, he conference did. by conference. I, so I, if we had him on speed dial, I wrote, well, no, I wrote up, some notes. I have a couple of the there things. You go. There was uh, one targeting every five games in the FBS. Um, replay stops were at uh, 2.2 last year, which were down from 2.5. Um, and that was, again, just a national number. I don't have on here broken down in the SEC. I'm trying to make sure I go over all these notes. Um, game time was was 321 in the SEC compared to 318 overall. So, yeah, no, I don't have anything that specifically moves it, uh, you know, differentiates SEC versus the rest of the country. But I can tell you that overall – there was one targeting every five games in the FBS last year. Looking forward to the game. Uh, I, I, I guess my concerns is just all the the middle uh, passing that San Jose State kind of opened up. And, and looking back at, at the Penn State game last year, the guy completed like 80% of his, his, his throws, mainly just little, you know, dunking and diving, you know, kind of little passes all over the field. He didn't really burn us any any deep throws, but if we're open up like that again and we're playing off coverage, then, you know, we, we have a tendency of making, you know, pedestrian quarterbacks look, look you know, amazing, basically, but it's because of the off coverage, all they got to do is just throw it over there. So um, I'm, I'm just hoping maybe we go a little bit more press man or do something. And I realize you're always at a risk of, of getting burnt beat, but I think our DBs and I think Zach Etheridge, you know, in the first game they were swinging their hips and, you know, uh, making plays and maybe some of those 50-50 balls, we, we start winning some of the turnover battles. But I just don't think you can play off that much with a, with a quarterback like this, especially, you know, with the completion percentage he had last year. Yeah, you got to be able to make plays. Changes. Yep. So, right, guys, there. Thanks for the time. Michael, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you. That's uh, Michael from Auburn joining us there on the program. And, uh, yeah, I am getting word officially, Big Ten officials 
for the Auburn and Penn State game coming up this weekend uh, at Jordan-Hare Stadium. So Big Ten referees making their way down to the Plains. Sure. That'll be something to okay. be on the lookout for. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we're Hope not talking we as much not about it. Hope we do mention yeah. a dang thing about right. it. Right, yeah. right. That's what, we're, that's what we're looking for. So um, as we get set to wind down today's edition of Sports Call, let's give you our nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. All right, it's our nightly TV guide. It's brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, entertain us, please. All right. Tell Ryan something entertaining that's going to be on television tonight. Ryan, do you want something entertaining that's going to be on television tonight? Yes, please. Would you like an entertaining <laughs> movie that's going to be on television tonight? Maybe. Well, at 6.50 on FXM, if you're interested, it is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, I love that movie. Yes, I'm entertained. I've seen that movie. My parents love that movie. JJ's seen that movie. You I like saw that movie. movie in theaters with you. Yep. I also saw it in theaters with him. Yep. Everyone likes this movie. So did I yep. watch that movie in theaters with you? Probably. We're having a moment, guys. Why don't I remember? Maybe these not. As well? Maybe no. We I didn't. think I went twice. So maybe in not. I think I, I know, saw it with two groups. I know I've seen watched it with him. Yep. Well, I watched it with him. Yep. All right. All right. All right. Entertaining. So I wanted us to have a moment, and of man. course, it was ruined. Seven o'clock on TMC tonight. Lee Daniels, The Butler, also a very classic Hollywood film. Good. Uh, I, I enjoyed. Did you did you ever see The Butler? I can't say that I have. I I always I thought it was a good movie. Uh, sports for you tonight across your television. Those are the two movies we're going to give you at six o'clock on TBS. MLB Baseball and the Yankees and the Red Sox from Fenway Park. That's entertaining. The Red Sox lead in the division has slipped a little bit. They're trying to regain their footing. Aren't the aren't the uh, you said Red Sox. Red Sox, the Yankees. Yeah. The Yankees I, I knew are, you were looking yes. at me a weird look, and I was like, no, you just told me <laughs> that the Yankees leading the division has slipped. The Yankees leading the division has slipped, not to the Red Sox, yeah. though. It is to the Rays. The Yankees are still trying to battle their way to a division win. Red Sox are playing baseball. Who do you want to win Yankee, that game? Yankees up five and a half on Tampa, six on Toronto. Um, eh. Okay. Uh, also, you say Fenway Park? Yeah, it's in Fenway Park. Yeah. Go Sox. Yeah, you're not going to play off. <laughs> Six o'clock tonight on ESPN Houston Women's College Volleyball Action as Florida State takes on number 16, Florida. There you go. Good, uh, good ranked matchup there for the Gators. And then also tonight across your television screens, game two of the WNBA Finals as Duana Bonner, former Auburn Tiger and the Connecticut Sun, take on the Las Vegas Aces. Aces won game one out at Michelob Ultra Arena in Vegas. They'll try to win game two. And, of course, tonight at 8.45 p.m., the Atlanta Braves back on the field versus the San Francisco Giants looking to even up the series at one game apiece. Kyle Wright takes the mound for the Braves tonight, sporting a 17-5 record and a 3.23 ERA. That's our nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, yeah. Monroe, Childress, mm. thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Ryan, Scott, Lavoie. Thank you for being here today. Once upon a time in sports call. I had a great show. <laughs> I appreciate you guys both. I appreciate you, Joshua, <laughs> Lyndon, Jackson the fourth. Oh, that's great stuff. For Brooks Childress and Ryan LaVoy, and for our guests today, Dave Archer and Justin Ferguson, I'm JJ Jackson. Thank you, and good day. <laughs>